0: To get started visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss.
2: Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Delaney and this is the Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. My guest this week is my boyhood hero, Tony Cotti. Tony played for West Ham in the 80s and 90s. When I was a kid, I listened on the radio as he scored on his debut against Tottenham Hotspur on New Year's Day, 1983. He was just 17 years old and he became my favourite player from that moment on. Tony went on to score loads more goals for the Hammers and play for England too before becoming the most expensive player in Britain when he moved on to Everton in 1988. He was a real golden boy, brilliant on the pitch and a clean-cut, well-behaved boy-next-door type off the pitch. But as I followed his career after football, I came to learn that even someone like Tony had tough times mentally and emotionally along the way. I've heard him speak about how difficult it was to adapt to retirement from the game in his 30s. And recently, he's spoken about being released from his long-term job as a reporter on Sky Sports 2. I've got to know Tony a little bit personally over the years, which feels weird because I still worship the bloke as a hero, just like I did when I was a kid. He always seemed so immaculate and on top of things, so I was interested to know more about the tough times and how a bloke like him learnt to cope with all of life's unexpected changes and challenges. So I asked if he fancied talking to me about it, and he said sure. What a good bloke. I hope you enjoy listening to our chat. Tony Cotty, welcome to The Reset. Hi, Sam. How are you, mate? I'm all right, thanks. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, not too bad, Sam. I've had um, I've had better months. I think it's fair to say in the world. Um, yeah. But no, it's 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 all part of life, isn't it? You you get your ups and your downs, and if uh, you get a down, you got to deal with it, you got to crack on, and you know, got to find something else to do. I'm referring, of course, to losing my job at Sky. So um, something that I'm very disappointed about after 20 years, Sam. It's a, you know, it's a it's a huge part of your life. So um yeah you what do you do do you sit around and sulk or do you get on with things you have to get on with things with life that's how it works
2: it's really interesting because i think what you're going through with with that so many blokes go through it and you know i know i've been through that sort of similar situation before where a job you've been doing comes to an end and you kind of get well there's all there's a mix of emotions there's panic there's, you know, I guess that sometimes there's feelings of failure, however well you've done, you always sort of think, oh, is this something to do with me or my performance and all of that? And, and I just think that, like, uh, you know, a, a man like you, I've heard you talk very eloquently before about coping with um, the end of your footballing career, which is similar feelings, I'm sure. And, and so that was one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you. I just thought, well, you're going through this at the moment, but I know the sort of resilient character you are, and I think people would be really interested to know a bit more about the ways in which you cope when you're going through tough times.
1: I think um, I think I've had to be tough, Sam, because um, listen, I, I had a great upbringing. I, I didn't have a tough upbringing. I know there's a lot more kids that are a lot worse off than what I had as a, an upbringing. But at least I was your typical, you know, originally from a, a council estate in, in Essex. Um, my dad. Was an insurance broker, and then he started to do well. So we then moved into our own house, and that's so I had a, you know, not a privileged upbringing, but um, you know, I had a normal upbringing, you would say. But I, I think that the thing is, from from my point of view, Sam, that I always felt that I had something to prove. Nothing came easy to me, you know. Um, um you know why why I had the qualifications and skills to become a footballer. I don't know. There was no and there was no reason for me to be a footballer, but I knew that if I did want to be a footballer, I I was going to have to work hard and I was also going to have to work even harder because of my size, as in mm. how small I was really. Um, my dad was only five foot eight. That was the most he ever got to and, and I think I got to five, seven and three quarters was the most I sort of topped out as. So I, I knew straight away that I was going to be not up against it, but you always have people saying, oh yeah, he's a good player, he's a good finisher, but he's too small, he'll never make it. And Mm. I think, the reason I'm mentioning that is because I think from an early age, it it gets your mind in place that you've always got to prove people wrong. Um, And, you know, my dad was great with me and we used it to good effect and ultimately, I overcame all the negativity that there was about me being too small. Um, But I, I think, because of that, I think it's helped me through my life, through my career. Um, and when you do get a knockback, like what I'm dealing with now, you, like I say, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are people that, you know, can't deal with things and, you know, slip me into bed for a week or something and have a cry and, you know, oh my God, the world's going to end type of thing. But I don't think I've ever been like that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be positive. Um, I've got a beautiful second wife who's lovely, but she can be a little bit, glass half empty at times where I'm always mm. the pint glass is always half full in my eyes so um, you know we you're always dealing and trying to battle with things I'm not that's nothing against my wife she just she yeah. cares and she's worried about me you know that's mm. normal normal things isn't it but um, you know I'm, I'm a fighter Sam I think that I'd like to think I'm a fighter and you know when you get adversity which we all do in life you know you just because you play football doesn't mean to say you don't have problems of course you do um, but when you do get them you've got to deal with them
2: it's uh it's interesting so i've always thought because i've heard you talk about your career and you're so often mentioned your dad and and do you think that the, you know your relationship with your dad your parents and and the, and the sort of obviously tight family unit you were from gave you that sort of strength of character in as much as i guess if you're from a close family I, I was, i'm from a close family too at least you think well i'm not on my arse and on my own here in the worst case scenario there's people who've who kind of got my back and who will still love me and care about me? Do you think that's yeah. a big part of your character?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I mean, my mum was wonderful. My mum, my mum's still alive. My mum's eighty two now. I just literally just put the phone down to her. She's great. And I've got I'm helping my mum now at the moment as well. So I've got everything going on in my life. And my mum, my mum's moaning about her car's going to break down.
2: Like yeah.
1: All right, Mum, I'll help you and everything. So, mm-hmm. you sort of, you, you know, your mum looks after you and then you, you give back. Is that your cat, Sam? My bloody
2: I'm, cat. He does this every time. He lies there sleeping. As soon as he hears me talking to someone, he gets involved.
1: I've, I've got, is he a white cat? Because I've got No,
2: he's cat. Ginger. He's a Ginger. I've got
1: a cat. white cat. My cat would do exactly the same. He'd be like that in front of the yeah, screen. He's,
2: he's, he's so needy. <laughs> 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 <a cat>. Anyway,
1: <laughs> we're digressing, but. Mm. Um, so yeah so my mum my mum was very supportive of everything that I was trying to do uh, I had a lovely brother and sister as well and the best compliment I could pay him was there was no jealousy you know mm. like you can get that in a family where your brother's jealous particularly your brother you know you've got one who plays yeah. football one who doesn't play football but he was nothing other ever than supportive of me my sister as well and I know they had a, they had a tough time at school as well you know obviously Tony you, got his sister Tony you, got his brother and all that nonsense yeah. and you know, So they, they had to deal with things as well. And then coming back to my dad, my dad my dad was brilliant from the point of view. He, he, what he did, Sam, he, he sat me down at the age of, I was 13 years of age, and he, he basically sat me down and he said, look, do you want to be a footballer? He knew I was good enough, mm. but what he was testing me with and what he was asking is, have you got the mental strength to become a footballer? Because I think when we all, you all know this, everyone knows this, when you get to become a teenager, a lot of things change. Your body changes, your mind changes and it's very easy to get distracted, and, and my dad sat me down, he said, right, you want to be a footballer, don't I, went, yes, he said, right, okay, he said, can't drink, he said, can't take drugs, uh, he said, you've got to keep girlfriends to a minimum, he said, you need sleep, he said, you've got to watch what you eat, and he drilled off all this stuff that was all sort of new to me, um, you know, but the main thing he was trying to do, he was trying to instill some sort of discipline into my life, and um, you know, I, I grew up in, as I say, in the Romford-Essex area, you know, surrounded by very talented footballers. And there was footballers at the age of 13 that were either obviously taller than me, more powerful than me, or even better than me. But mm. those guys never made it. And, you know, one of the reasons they did make it, or the main reason, was, was the mental side of football. And I think that's where I was lucky that I had my dad to sit me down and explain to it. And if I did step out of line, you know, he he, he really come down hard on me to put me back on track. And, you know, I, I, you know, obviously there's lots of kids out there who've got real football talent, but they either haven't got a mum or haven't got a dad or sometimes haven't got either. And it, it does make life very difficult for them.
2: When you got into first team football at West Ham, I often think nowadays mental health is such a big thing. It's discussed so widely, so openly. And I've always thought the life of a footballer, once you're in the public eye, you know, you're playing at a big team and and in your case, you know, you're playing for England and all of this stuff. It, I can't, I've, I've never been able to quite understand when I've sat there at games and watched the abuse and the madness and the reaction, how everyone has that strength to get through it. And especially in your day, when I assume there was no going to the rest of the lads openly, oh, I'm feeling depressed, because that stuff was still... Very sort of stigmatised back then, wasn't it? How, how did you cope?
1: Well, it was frowned upon, Sam, wasn't it? You know, you you, you couldn't... you couldn't. Sh- it, my generation, I'm not saying it was right or wrong, but my generation was you couldn't show weakness. And, you know, examples of that are, was the the old favourite, two minutes into the game, and you got the big sort of thuggish centre-half mark in you and the balls rolled into you on the halfway line. And you know full well what's coming and the center half in those days could just rattle through the back of you and you go up mm. in the air Sam and you come land back down at which point the center half is put his hand out to sort of help you back up and that and the referee comes over and goes none of that today young man that you the first one's free by the way I'll let you have yeah. the first one yeah. but you know but no matter how hard they kicked you you couldn't show weakness and the, it, the way i felt about it is if the physio came on the field of play, I, I never ever stayed down because to me, I was in a battle. I'm playing against the centre half. If that centre half kicks me and I lay down on the floor and I roll in around, like, let's be honest, like we see a quite a lot of players nowadays. If, yeah. I, if I'm doing that and the physio came on in my mind, I'm straight away. I'm thinking that centre half now thinks he's got one over me. He He's now, and he would have got confidence and groaning confidence with that. But I worked on the basis that I don't care how hard you're going to kick me, unless you oh, listen. You broke your leg, or say ridiculous. Obviously, then mm. you know, of course, you need a physio. But you know, if it was just a whack and you got a heavy bruise, or you you know you've gone over on your ankle or whatever, you've got to get up. Don't let the don't let the physio come on, limp around for a little while, and then get back going again. And and that was that was the sort of mental toughness that we had. But you you know you couldn't go and see the manager, and you know I I, I had spells. Uh, certainly in my first spell at West Ham, and, and even when I went to Everton, that where I had issues going on in my private life, and you know, I could never go and talk to the manager, you couldn't really talk to the other players. Oh, what's the matter? I'll oh, get on with it, I'll oh, go and go mm. and find someone else in, or <laughs> you know, or just yeah. all, all the things that the boys would say to you, and you, could, you couldn't reconfine in anyone. You, you know, you could talk to your dad maybe, but then you're talking to your dad, aren't you? You don't want your dad know in your personal life, and mm. you know, there wasn't anyone there, there was no sort of counsellors as such, or um I don't know, I don't know what they have at football clubs now, like a sports scientist or, or you know, or or just someone who, who cares about how the players feel. I'm sure every football club has probably got that now. And none of that, when I play, Sam, it was just get on with it. What's the matter with you?
2: Did it affect your form? Like the way your emotional and mental state, would it affect your ability to perform on the pitch ever?
1: At times, yeah, without a doubt. Um You know, I think... I think you have to be right mentally as a footballer. And um, I mean, just as an example, if you if you've got things going on in your private life, whatever that might be, if you're not sleeping properly, then of course you then turn up for a game and you've had three hours sleep instead of nine hours sleep. And it, it you know, it's common sense and obviously that you're gonna be tired. So if you've got things going on in your personal life or a bit of turmoil or whatever it might be. And, you know, that, isn't that, that's not just women. That could be, it could be your mum, it could be your family, it could be you don't like your house, it could be the kids aren't happy at school, it could be, there's so many multitude of things it could be. Um, but, you know, what do you do? You, you In those days, you couldn't do anything. But it, there's no doubt that um, there were certain games where I wasn't on my game and, you get through it and you, you, as you, the more you become a footballer Sam, the, like a bit like what you do with, with a podcast or a radio mm. show, show, you know, the first couple ones you do, you, you you know, we all admit we're not very good at it, are we? By definition, mm. you've only just started doing it, but then as you do more, you, you you get better at it, you get better at your broadcasting skills and if there is an issue or something happens or, or same for you, you might have had a late night and you feel a bit tired, but you can mm. compensate, you can get through it a little bit with your experience and, you know, there were times where I had to call on all my experience, albeit as a young player in that first spell at West Ham. But, you know, you, you had to get on with it and you, you had to give 100%. And you know what the West Ham fans are like. They, they, they know everything else is irrelevant if you give 100%. You can have yeah. the worst game in the world, but if they see you running around or you kick someone or you score a goal, but you was absolutely rubbish, mm-hmm. they will love you forever more. And, it's, you know, it's a bit of a misconception about, West Ham fans that they want to see skillful football. Yeah, of course they do. First and foremost, though, they want to see you run around and give hundred percent. And I think that was the, the the one thing I always say about my career. I never, I never played a game where I didn't give a hundred percent. Of course, I played poorly, you know. And I think the 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 funniest thing about everything, Sam, is as you get older, people come up to you and only ever remember the good games and the goals. Yeah. They never come up to you and say, oh, do you remember that game back in 1984? You was absolutely rubbish. You missed five sitters. No one ever says that. Yeah, It's nice from that point of view. But, um, yeah, I mean, the mental side of the thing, I wish, you know, looking back, I wish I'd have had someone that I could have confided in, really.
2: What about uh, abuse? What about, you know, abuse from the stands, which is just as bad then, probably worse then than it is now even. Uh, how, how did that affect you?
1: Yeah. Um, it probably affected my mum and dad and my brother and my sister and my girlfriend. They probably would have affected them more because they would have been the ones up in the stands sitting around all the people that are shouting and screaming and swearing or whatever they might be doing. Um, I found, Sam, that going onto the football field, I, I, um, the best way to describe it, before a game, I, I was nervous, really nervous to, to the point where I would probably go to a toilet, as in a wee, probably 10 times, just to, mm. you know, just a way of dealing with nerves and you know, when you're thinking about the game, especially the top games and the, you know, the semifinals and finals and, you know, all the playing for England, all that sort of stuff. Mm. And I was always really, really, really nervous. But as soon as I got onto that football field, no nerves at all. And the only way I can explain that is to say that you're going into an arena where you know you're good at what you do because you wouldn't be in the position of being chosen to play for your club or your country if you wasn't good enough. So if you're mentally strong, you just know that once you step onto the football field, you're into your comfort zone. People, a lot of people, um, you know, like someone like yourself, for example, who's never played football, at, uh, you know, a high level. If you, if we put you on the field to play at the West Ham next weekend or something, and then you would be going, "Oh my God!" Like you, you'd be <laughs> rabbit in the headlights because you've never done that before. But mm. I trained all my life and worked all my life to get into that position, so I was in the comfort zone. And listen. I'm not going to lie to you, when you're on the field of play, you can hear the moans and groans, particularly up to park. I mean, it was, it was as near to the pitch as you could ever possibly get. You know, if you go over the chicken run, you could hear them all shouting mm. and honouring, but there, there was, there were certain things that you could, if you wanted to, you could individual shouting something that you think, oh, you know, that shouldn't be said, or, you mm. know, that's not right. Sometimes you'd chat and you go, you know he's got a point actually. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you
1: know what it's like. Um, but, you know, I, I, I took that as a positive and going into away games, um, especially as my career developed and I started to score goals and I was linked to big moves, etc. And I always felt that if the crowd was singing your name, they're singing your name for a reason. And that is to put you off your game. And, you know, if you're rubbish, then they ain't going to sing your name. If, the, if you're a goal scorer and they're trying to stop you scoring goals, they'll sing your name or sing a rude name or whatever it might be with your name and to try and put you off. So I almost took that as a compliment and done a reverse psychology with that one.
2: You got real cast iron self-belief by the sounds of things to me. And, and you took that sort of as fuel criticism sometimes was as fuel to you. But tell me a bit about what you went through when you eventually retired from the game, because I know mentally that, that period was a struggle, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, it's probably, I, I
1: know, I'm, I'm, I probably would say I'm going through it again a little bit now. So, um, you know, the, Again, I listen. I played. I played for twenty years as a professional. I had, I had the most fantastic career. You know, I look back, and you know, would I would I swap my career that I had for a career in playing football now? No, I wouldn't, because I think I had the fun times. You know, all the the pre season tours, the end of season tours, the camaraderie, the the lads, and you know, going out for a drinking session or whatever it might be, playing golf, and all, all the things that help to create a good team spirit, if you like. I wouldn't swap any of that, you know, because I, I, I don't quite know exactly what they do now, but it's not the same as what it was when I played. You know that, I know that. Mm. Um, there's one question though, would you swap it for the money? And unfortunately, that is the answer that most players of my generation, you know, yeah, of course, there was a, there was a few really talented top boys that made a lot of money um, and probably are okay for the rest of their lives, but most players of my generation, Sam, we, we are nice money. Uh, you get to the end of your career. You then have the traditional divorce, which I did. So yeah, I mean, you get to the end of your career, and you know, and seventy percent of players, I think the stat is, within five years of retiring, you get divorced, and um, you know, it, it's sad, really. But it, I think the problem is you have such a, a routine as a footballer. Everything's done for you. You're told what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Probably even more so nowadays. And you get to the end of your career, and all of a sudden, there, there is no routine. You know, you don't, you're not getting up in the morning. You're not going to work every day. You're not coming home and, you know, doing what you would normally do. You're not playing on a Saturday. You haven't. Most importantly, you, you're not getting that buzz that you get in life. You know, I've always said to everyone, you know, where, Sam, where can I go to get the buzz of when I played for Leicester in the late '90s against the treble winning Manchester United team basically mm. and we played at Old Trafford we won one nil, and I scored the only goal of the game in front of 70,000 fans and my question is to it anyway you said where can I go? Where, what can I possibly do in life that is going to give me that pleasure and that moment in time where
0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit
2: uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
1: I've done something, and yeah, of course it's a team game and Leicester won the game, but I was the goal scorer, and it's in the the history books. Leicester haven't won there since, by the way. That was, what, 23 (laughs) years ago. So it's very hard from... It's hard from the emotion and the adulation point of view. It's hard with your wife and your kids because you're about the house all the time and you get that, oh, can't you go and get a job or something? You know, what are you at home again for? And all that sort of thing that you go through. Um, and I found it really difficult. And, of course, what i touched on previously there was about the money side of things, and I hadn't made the money. And, you know, all of a sudden it was like, wow, I've, I, I think I worked out I had about nine months' worth of money to, to, to get through. And then I was in trouble. And, you know, I had had three kids at the time, all in private schools. All right. You can say they should be in a private school, you know, take them out, put them in another school. But that causes problems in itself. So I had to pay for the private school fees. I still had a mortgage. I had not paid my mortgage off. I still had a car to pay for. I still had to live. Um, And it it was really, really difficult. And uh, ultimately, I ended up getting divorced. And, you know, I'm, I'm now really happy second time around, which is great. But it was tough. And I think without my Sky work, you know, I sort of stumbled into Sky uh, about a month after I'd retired. And without that Sky work over the last 20 years, I, you know, I wouldn't I would I wouldn't have been able to deal with things, I don't think. I think I would have really, really struggled. And, yeah, of course, I, I probably would have done something else or found something else because I'm quite a strong character. But, you know, I've had times over the last, you know, particularly, I would say, in the 10 years immediately after I retired, you know, there was... It was it was really, really tough for me, you know, financially, emotionally, and you know, tough for the kids. I got three kids and you know, their mum and dad are getting divorced. And you know, people don't people don't see that. They see all they see is the the footballer, Tony mm. Cotty, the footballer. They, you know, they don't see Tony Cotty, the person and they don't think that Tony Cotty the person has ever had any problems. Because he played football. Oh yeah, yeah, you're all right. right. You, you was you know, you scored goals. Yeah, of course I did, but you know, it, there is life as well. There's there's Tony Cotty, the person, and then there's Tony Cotty, the professional footballer that everyone saw play, or or Tony Cotty, the broadcaster that everyone's seen for the last 20 years.
2: And does that make it sort of harder in some ways? Obviously, you're very open now, and I appreciate how open you are being, but because you've got this reputation, because people look up to you a lot, right, does that make it sort of harder to show your vulnerable side when you're going through bad times? Like, so you've got to, especially when you're in the public eye at all, whether that be... You're at a game, or you're on TV, or on your radio. You you you're sort of straining to uphold this kind of ideals version of yourself.
1: But you, you you can't be you can't be down, Sam. I don't think you're allowed to be down because yeah. uh, listen, just as an example, um, you know, uh, a fan comes up to me and said, "Oh, can I have a selfie with you, please?" I might have had the worst day for a long time, and at that point, you think you say, oh, "For God's sake, like you know, uh, as if I want to smile." Sometimes you can feel like that, you know? Uh, I'm not being horrible. I'm just being really, really honest. But what do I do? Because if I tell the guy at the side off, you, I'm sure I can say that on your podcast, or what are words to that effect, then he's going to go on Twitter or whatever and absolutely hammer me or take a video of me telling him to do that. Yeah. Or do you just give five seconds of your time, go?
0: Yeah.
1: And and it's done. And I've sort of trained myself with... Um, what's happened over the last, particularly the last ten years, with the social media, with the selfies. Um, I mean, in the old days, when I first started playing football, if you wanted something off a footballer, you would get a pen and paper and say, "Oh, can you sign this autograph for me, please?" And that was how it was done, as you well know. You had a few people who had a maybe had a posh camera, but then they got to go and get it developed. And it takes yeah. two weeks. Yeah, yeah. And, you know. But but now everything is instant. Everything's instant, and you know, and and I still. I still feel that I have to – I'm, although I'm sort of not in the public eye, I am in the public eye. And, and I always say to my mates, I say, like, the, you know, the difference really is that, say, if you go back 30 years, even as a footballer, if I went down the pub on a Saturday night and there was a mass brawl started out or something and I started throwing punches or whatever, all of a sudden I'm involved in a punch-up, which can happen to anyone, can't it? Let's yeah. be honest. Um, that would probably take two weeks to filter into the media. Uh, and then there'll be a nice sensational story on the front page of one of the, the Red Tops, Tony Cotty throwing punches down the local pub, etc. Nowadays, if I go down the local pub this Saturday and a fight breaks out and I'm in amongst it all, you can bet your life there'll be someone filming it and yeah. and, and and all of a sudden you're going all around the world in about five minutes. Oh, look at Tony Cotty's doing on a Saturday night. Mm. And so you, it, it's, it, it's it's mad, but you, you feel that if you've got any sort of, public persona, which obviously I have because of my football career, because of my appearances on Sky and the radio and, every, you know, and connections to the football club team, you you still have to have a a, a behaviour side to to your personality, Sam. You can't just, at least I know some players do and, you know, and I feel sorry for them sometimes because you can understand where they're coming from. But, you know, I don't think people often realise just how tough it can be sometimes as a, either as a footballer, or an ex-follower. I mean, with the current footballers, it must be even worse because they're they're put on that pedestal, and everyone knows they're getting underground grand a week, whatever they might be getting. And you know, and, and, and fans sometimes can't wait to just to take a photo of them doing or a, a video of them doing something wrong. So it, you know, it, it is difficult from that point of view that you, you know, I live I live a nice life, Sam. Don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining at all. If I go to London, I get the train into London, I get the tube to. Hoban or King's Cross or wherever I might be going I get the tube I ain't bothered mm. if people want to come and talk to me to have a fight that's fine all I'm saying is you you you're never quite unless you come home to where I am at this moment in time you, you you never quite relax because you're always sort of on your toes a little bit you know what I'm trying to say don't you it's, it, it just makes life a little bit different. Yeah, you're just,
2: you're just a bit, you're, you're tense, and when, and especially when you're going, and in normal times when things are going well, that's fine. But I'm, I'm thinking at the bad times that you're talking about, and what you've gone through recently with, with Sky coming to an end, all of that stuff is tougher, I guess, because what you really need to do is relax and, and sort of mm. like switch off from the stress a little bit, don't you? I mean, what, what do you do to take care of yourself at times like that? Are, are you the sort of person who exercises to burn off stress? Do you have someone that you can talk to? How, how do you address moments like this?
1: I don't know, really. I mean, I, I don't exercise. I got to be honest. I, I I finished my career. I'd had thirty years, including my, you know, as a, as a young kid, obviously building up to the I had thirty years of running around and kicking footballs and working out, and you know, like what? Why on earth would I want to work out all <laughs> you know, so I don't do that you know yeah. I'm not lazy as I said you know if, if there's um if there's an escalator or a set of stairs I walk up the stairs you know, yeah. you, know I, I, you try and keep ticking over Um, I like the golf but I don't love golf I don't want to play golf five, six times a week you know you talk mm. to Matt Letizia for example he plays golf five, six times a week mm. like, he loves it but I don't love golf I, you know I find it difficult I'm not as good as Letiz which probably doesn't help and um, you know I like to relax a little bit with the golf but you know I've got fantastic wife I've got three fantastic kids I've got a wonderful group of friends who I go out with and if I mention football they'll talk about it if I don't mention football we'll talk about the Grand Prix or we'll talk about politics or mm. you know to switch off a little bit because I don't want to be surrounded with mates and all they want to do is talk about West Ham or football Now as much as I love West Ham it's the love of my life as you well mm-hmm. know but you don't want to be going out on a Saturday night talking football all the time so you know I'm I'm very blessed with the people around me, but, you know, you it, it can be very difficult, Sam, and I'll keep meaning to say, but it just uh, as an example, like sometimes when you're, um, you're down or when you're not feeling quite yourself or whatever it might be, but you, I I was in Portugal about two years ago and um, uh, I was getting the lift, standing in Villa Mora right, and I, I got into the lift and there was a young couple in there, I say so young, they're probably about, I don't know, probably about, 35, 40 years of age, young compared to me, obviously. And um, as soon as I got into the lift, the lift doors closed. I am with my wife and the guy looked at me and he went, wow, he said, I've never been in a lift with a millionaire before <laughs> looking at me. Mm-hmm. And I sort of looked at him and I really wanted to say, I, I won't swear because I don't spoil this podcast, but you can imagine what I wanted to say yeah. to him. And uh, I sort of looked around and said, so where is he then? Like Because you know, <laughs> people have this perception of you. Because you played football, you're a you're a multi millionaire, and because Forever. of the way, yeah. yeah, for the wages that, that people are getting now. and oh, you do a kid's presentation and you turn up, you know, listen, I've got a nice Mercedes. It's a lovely car. I love my car. Um, the, you turn up and the kid. Oh, where's your Ferrari? Then where's your Lamborghini? You know, you're a footballer. All footballers yeah. have Lamborghinis and Ferraris, and and it just you you. It's the one thing I think that um is hard for me is just, just is that money side of things that get rammed down your throat all the time about how you know everyone expects you to be a millionaire everyone expects you to live in this palatial mansion yeah I've got a nice house but it's not a mansion I haven't got a swimming pool out the back you know it it is what it is Sam and I'm Mm -hmm. very very happy with it but you just continually get people
2: pushing back money money is a stressful thing for a lot of blokes and and we don't talk about it much really but I mean because I, I don't know why it is it's almost like a pride thing but um you know so and also you sort of think when you get really down if you get depressed or anxious or anything like that to admit to someone that what started it was like you were just worrying about money right or you've you've lost a bit of work or you need some cash or whatever whatever it almost feels like too superficial to some people but i think it's almost the main thing that sets Sets blokes off because it's for ninety nine percent of people. No matter what they do, it's always a sort of something hovering in the back of your mind, giving you worry and stress, isn't
1: it? <laughs> it is, and you know, you're quite. I think you're quite right with money. I mean, I'm in a scenario at the moment, and um, as we have said, I, you know, I, I, my Sky job, um, I lost that at the start of August. The last time I got a wage from Sky was at the end of May, at the end of the mm. football season. Obviously, um, I wasn't on a contract with Sky. So June, I never got any money. July, I never got any money. August, I've not had any money. Um, I'm now going into September. I've got a few little dinners and golf days, etc., which will help me. September, October, November. But you know, it is it is worrying. It's 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 tough. You know, you go. It, I, I defy anyone to not have any sort of money coming in for three months. Mm. You know, I've still got to pay my mortgage. Still got to pay my car. I've still got. To, I want to take the wife out. I want to help the kids out. All the things that everyone else wants to do. And and it, it puts demands on you, Sam. And you you know it, it is tough. It is tough. But as we said right at the start, what do you do? Do you roll over or do you go? Do you know what? I'll get my head down. Something's around the corner, and be positive. And yeah, you know, I, I just think that if you keep plugging away at things, if you keep tapping into things, and eventually something will will, will come off. Because I think if you just and it's hard to do. It is. I know it's hard to do. And some people probably got it a hundred times worse than me. You know, like you try living in a, you know, a high rise block of flats in the East End and, you mm. you know, you've lost your job and you've got two kids to feed. And it must be horrendous. You know, I'm not in that position. I'm not asking for sympathy in any shape or form, but it's still mentally, it's tough. It really is tough. And you got to, you got to be strong and you, I think you have to fight it. And, you know, the, I work on the basis that, the one person that was always there to help me is not there anymore. My dad sadly died four years ago. My dad's not there. My dad can't help me. Um, And no one else is going to help me. So you've got to help yourself. And it's very hard to do that, but you've got to stay strong and you've got to give yourself a kick up the arse sometimes. And, you know, if you've got a good woman behind you, it does help. I've got a great woman behind me. It really, really helps, but you've still got to do it. She can only help me so much. I'm the one who's got to go out and get, work and get a job and sort myself out and i will do that and i will you know i look back on this and say oh do you remember that time i was speaking to you sam i was you know a bit down
2: and everything yeah get something else come along and you move on with things you know what it's really helpful to think that thought exactly as you just articulated it because i often have that discussion with my wife would i have like you know something bad going on in my life or very similar to you you know in as much as i'm i've been a freelance most of my career so there's been numerous occasions on which a nice little kind of either contract or just a good regular source of work that I've been come to become dependent on in some way quite suddenly, yeah. unexpectedly disappears. And it can send me into a really dark place. But one of the things that helps most is thinking, just what you said, I think about times it's happened before and I think, ah, oh, remember how shit I felt? And do you remember how? I felt that that was it and everything was finished and the future was bleak. Yeah. But I carried on fighting and now that just seems like a distant memory. And I think it's one of the most powerful things you can do at dark times, isn't it? You think about other stuff that you've been through and how you got through it. And that kind of gives you sort of self-belief, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it does. And and I think you have to learn. And you know, I mean, life's not easy, Sam. Let's be honest. it's Life is not easy. And, and even if you get... A really good hand, like I've been dealt. You know, like mm. you know, to be given, you know, God given talent to play football. Mm. You know, so I was very fortunate from that point of view. I, I, I always when the the one word that if, if if people say one word to me, I go, I do pick them up on it, and it does really annoy me. And the word is lucky. Yeah, people say he was lucky to be a footballer. And I, I went sorry, you was lucky to be a footballer. I went ah, excuse me. I said. I was lucky. I was given the talent. There was no luck about what I achieved. What I achieved was through hard work and dedication. And that applies to anyone in any job because, mm. you know, you can be you can be lucky as in uh, your dad knows someone who works down the road who's a mate of the milkman and you get mm. You say, I'll pop down and have an interview. But mm. unless you make the effort to get out of bed and look good and come across well in the interview, you ain't getting that job. And if you do get the job, you're not lucky. You've made your own luck because you've got out of bed and you've been really positive. And you know, that that's the thing. You learn as you go through life and um you know, all what we've spoken about. You, I think you get you get the, the kicks and you get whacked down and you know, but but what do you do? You you've you've got to carry on and you you know life life doesn't stop, does it? You know, you, you've got to you've got to keep going and you you've got to be there for all the people that love you. I you know, I'm very lucky. I'm sure you're very lucky, Sam. You've got good people around you and they, they think the world of you and they love you to bits and everything. And you, you're doing it because you, you don't want to let them down. But also the, 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 the one person I always say this to my kids, the one person you've got to be true to and you've got to look after is yourself because that is the person that's going to make everything happen in your life. And whether they're good decisions or bad decisions, you know, you've got to stand up and take responsibility for them.
2: So true, mate. And one, I mean, it's really powerful that. And, um, and you know, I wish you all the best of luck, of course, and I'm, I'm sure that you'll kind of come back with something, you know, interesting and exciting and brilliant as always. Um, one thing that's interesting to me is, is that when you talk about missing that buzz, it's my last question, you know, some of your teammates who I know and have spoken to like Mark Ward in particular is an old mate yeah and and obviously Machiavelli famously and lots of people in your generation they turned to like things that were much more destructive so it's very common for footballers to turn to drink For example, and when you talk about that buzz of scoring the winner against United at Old Trafford, and how do you recreate that? The simple answer to most people is (laughs) booze or maybe drugs. You never, you always kept your feet on the ground in that respect, didn't you? I mean, even when you were like, you were record, well, you were record signing at one point, weren't you, when you moved to Everton? And you know, so you had all this attention, all this glamour. You never let that side go, Judge, and you never felt went off the straight and narrow, as far as I know, unless you kept it a really good secret. <laughs> no, I
1: did go off the straight and narrow. Um, yeah. listen, it probably goes back to the, the conversation with me dad, wasn't it? My dad made it quite clear he said, You can't drink and you can't take drugs and you can't smoke as well. I forgot to say that one, that was the other one. Yeah. Said, you can't smoke because if you're smoking, your lungs ain't going to be you ain't going to be able to run. Yeah, so you know, I always had that in the back of my mind. I mean, listen, as I Got a bit older. I obviously I started to have a drink, and I love a drink now. And there, there there are times when I go absolutely mad and have a drink, but you know I don't let it take over my life. And and the problem is, is you wake up on a Sunday morning after a skin fall on a Saturday night, you've got a banging headache. And you know things things haven't changed. Mm. You, you know if you go out and you know. Get absolutely smashed. You, you're still going to have the same problems. You'll feel great on the Saturday night, and everything's wonderful, isn't it? When you've had a drink, and everything seems so much better. But then, when you wake up on the Sunday morning, sometimes you can even have more of a come down than what you would have had if you hadn't had the drink. So, you know, you, you have to be careful. You know, at least I feel for for Waldie, I feel for Frank, and you know, many other players, Kenny Sampson, and the, the list is endless, isn't it? Pete Shilton's been in the paper recently about yeah. gambling. You know, it, it's it's hard because. I think we're all sort of, in a way, we're all trying to replace what we've lost. And mm. as a footballer, you, you can't replace it. You know, you can stay in the game, you can coach, you can manage, obviously. It's not the same, but it's as near as you're probably going to get. You know, my my career, for many, many reasons, just didn't go in that direction. I, I wanted it to. I would, have, I would have liked nothing better, Sam, to have been the manager of West Ham. That would have been my ultimate dream, you know, but that's not going to happen. Um, so you, know, you you fish around and you're trying to find something to replace what you haven't got anymore. And you know I've, I've been very fortunate with Sky. I've had those 20 years, and it's it's sort of replaced it. I go along to a match day, and you know you're buzzing because you're watching a football match. But you know that's gone there, and I've now got to find something else to. To, to give me a buzz. And, you know, the last I've been to the last two West Ham home games. I went to the Leicester game, went to the Palace game and just went as a fan. And, all right, I'm sitting in the posh seats. So I'm not in behind the goal and all that. I understand all that, mm. you know. But um, I don't want to be doing selfies the whole game, to be honest. Yeah, which is probably,
2: yeah. yeah. Understandable, yeah.
1: Yeah. But, you know, I go there, and I've got as much passion as, as all the other fans in the stadium and that. And that's, you know, hopefully that's something going along the line that, that will... You know, obviously, I still want to work, but, you know, I want to be a fan. I want to go back to being a fan. You know, West Ham, as I said, was my first love in life.
2: Tony, a pleasure as always to speak to you. Like I say, I wish you all the best. Fingers
1: crossed, Sam. Good to speak to you, mate. Take care.
2: Thanks, mate. That is Tony Cotty. Even a bloke who, to people like me, is a real icon, has the same money worries, career worries and life worries that the rest of us contend with every day – I think the way he opens up about it and is vulnerable about it all is admirable and inspiring. Thanks for listening, gang. Remember to subscribe to The Reset at samdelaney.substack.com and check me out on Instagram at The Reset Sam. Until next time, be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down.